America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with the very important issue that we've continued to cover in the last several weeks, the injustice that's going on in this nation, namely in the state of Colorado. We visit the Pillar 4 and the IRP 5. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave DiPolo, Samson Riddle, Dennis Merritt, Clinton Stewart, and William Williams, and Tanique Wright, and the entire AJC Radio team as we get ready for our journey that we've been dealing with on injustice here in Colorado, and not only here in Colorado, but around the globe. And we're happy to, to be joined tonight by all of our listeners across the United States and around the world as we believe that tonight's continuation, if you will, uh, is going to shed light more on the system. Um, this is critically important because a lot of folks are not aware just how bad the system is because it hasn't stopped on their front door. It has here. We're going to deal with all of that tonight. And uh, Dennis, as we go forward with this show, what's the importance of continuing this discussion, which is a lengthy one? People have to understand that what we call justice today is not justice at all. Uh, anytime justice is, has biases in it, anytime it's, uh, you know, about black, white, uh, rich, poor, uh, how much money you got. I mean, we've seen some stuff here in Colorado that just would blow your mind. And if you listen to the show tonight, you're going to find out that what you think is justice is truly not justice at all. And I agree with Mott when he says that. Why do it have to come to your door? But most of the time when it comes to people's door, they react, they get mad, and, of course, they become advocates. So hopefully tonight, after hearing this show, we'll get some more advocates out there. No, absolutely right. Uh, I want you folks to feel free to dial in tonight to 646-200-0628. Also, Attorney Gwen Lawson is going to be joining us. Uh, She had actually... Made it a tip last week to get into the show. Uh, we were back up against the wall as far as time. Uh, but you're going to hear from her tonight and what she has experienced with this district attorney's office. 
uh, and I believe the outrage that should be present in any situation uh, when you're dealing with games and politics and playing with the lives of individuals. You're going to hear from her about 20 minutes into the show, uh, and we're going to deal with all of these topics. You're going to hear a little bit from Luana Banks-Clark, uh, also what she went through as a result of the injustice. We heard a little bit last week. <clears throat> we're going to deal with that, uh, her readjusting to life after prison upon being released. Uh, but dealing with what she saw and what she suffered, which she never, ever should have had to go through as a result of a corrupt judge, uh, federal judge, Christina Arguello, uh, who continues a pattern of abuse and behavior uh, that we're going to have to get into. Tanik, your thoughts as we go forward with the show. I'm glad we're set, uh, you know, uh, I guess putting a spotlight on the subject. Um, you know, I was reading a tweet and it said that when you have corrupt police officers, corrupt prosecutor, and a corrupt judge, how in the world are we supposed to have justice? You're not going to find it. That's how that, that's the bottom line. Dave Zapolo, your thoughts as we go forward. And by the way, happy birthday to Dave Zapolo, uh, our co host of this show. Go ahead, Dave. Thank you, sir. When you look at the corruption that occurs, when you look at the corruption that occurs in the courts, it's outrageous. You have it from the uh, the um, clerks, the clerks to the um, court reporters to the judge to the prosecution to the jury. You do not have any justice out there. So when they call it the justice system, there is no such thing. It is manipulated to get the outcome that they're looking for. No, absolutely right. We're going to hear from all of our co-hosts tonight as we get ready to uh, continue this show. Um, and again, folks, feel free to dial in tonight at 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back in justice in Colorado and across this nation. We're going to deal with it next. This is AJC Radio. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fair justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 
1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform.
You can't say anything. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. It's so gross. Lame user. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment. And consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. What happens? When a church becomes a target of injustice, where a church is targeted for harassment, for all types of really unequal justice, and singled out to be harassed, and where the scales of the law tilt or tip towards against the church, but towards the but away from the actual criminals. What happens in a city when a federal judge opines in a case that she has no jurisdiction? That is federal judge Christina Aguayo, uh really, I call it a conspiracy with District Judge Aaron Sokol of El Paso County Court and the office of the district attorney uh, who was elected, Mr. Allen, uh, how do these powers come together to accomplish one goal? That is to destroy or make an attempt to destroy the reputation of a church who is a pillar in this community for the last 42 years. How is that possible? How does it happen? It's one word for it. They call it corruption. And we're going to deal with that tonight as we've been dealing with this in the last several weeks uh, of what in the world would cause someone to attack a church that has done more in this community in the last 40 years on record than any other religious institution in this community of El Paso County. Uh, and then for Kelsey Tibbs, uh, 88 Kelsey Tibbs to make the statement that her goal and her uh, her position was that this church must be shut down. How does that happen? How does that happen? How do you have that when the church not for one day never went on trial? The church was never accused of a crime. How then does the ADA walk into a courtroom and make such a statement? We're going to deal with that tonight, all of that tonight, as we get ready to begin comparing the cases, David. The RP5 saw the same type of injustice uh, with, with Federal Judge Christine Arguello, who sought out on a mission to not allow evidence in, in, in the case of the RP5, 
And you have a situation with this case, with the pillar, with the pillar four, where the judge and the jury had become tainted, where there should have been a mistrial issued immediately. That also went ignored. David, your thoughts on this as we go down this road? Um, people just need to realize the system uh, is not what it appears to be. Um, you have two cases. It's almost a secret society in many cases when some of this stuff is going on. You have a bunch of people that can't be held accountable. These people are not held accountable. Uh, judges and prosecutors are not held accountable in the criminal justice system. That's a recipe for corruption. So when, when phone calls can be made to the back room, I don't like this person, put the screws to them. The law really has nothing to do with a lot of these things that they're going on. Uh, people say, why are we beating these cases to death? It's why, why wouldn't you be, be, beat these cases to death given genuine efforts by prosecutors, by judges, and by police to abuse their power to hurt not only church, but, but families and other individuals. These are men. Uh, and as long as men, uh, hold these positions, they're fallible and capable of all sorts of corruption. They seem, the system seems to just focus all on uh, the average people that commit crimes, but there, there's just so much that goes on. I, I, I can't even say, they, they use the old uh, adage, well, 99% of people are uh, uh, police officers. Good. Nobody, can, nobody can make that statement. I, don't necess- I, I can't make it. I, it might be true. It might not be true. Uh, just from our experience, uh, we have seen repeatedly corruption, corrupt act after corrupt act after corrupt act. It's just what the system is, and uh, many Americans just kind of look past it because it, it it hasn't happened to them. And like I said, we're we're gonna beat this and beat it and beat it and beat it some more, and beat this drum until people actually start to hear what's going on. People really need need to stand up and take notice because it's getting the system is getting worse no absolutely right and uh we're going to deal with that right now joining us i, I don't want to delay this at all attorney uh gwen lawson uh is joining us now coming on to have a conversation where she went into a situation with district attorney allen here in, in el paso county he's an elected da uh but really chose to look the other way when an attorney comes to uh, district attorney said, look, I need some answers. Uh, uh, this district attorney, Allen, turned the other way. He refused to deal with what's going on, refused to take, accept accountability for his office and the unfair prosecution of the Pillar 4. Gwen, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay, do you want to take a moment and thank you for joining us tonight? Uh, we so apologize not getting to you last week. We were up against the clock, but today... Uh, right now, we're going to give you the floor to talk about what happened uh, in regards to District Attorney Allen, all the stuff that's transpired in the Pillar 4 case. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, Ms. Lawson was also attorney uh, in the IRP 5 case as well. We're going to deal with both of these issues. I, I'll give you the floor to go into your issue with the injustice uh, that's coming out of the District Attorney's Office here in El Paso County with District Attorney Allen. Well, um, on March, I mean, it was about a week ago, I contact, tried to reach out to District Attorney Allen 
I even had to personally go down to his office a couple of times, and it was almost they were saying like he was too busy to even talk to an attorney, which I didn't understand that with him being a public official. And I did inform them of that, and they were like, well, well, he was still so busy. However, finally, after I kept contacting him and contacting his office, uh, they finally, his secretary or executive assistant finally put me through. And so um, when I talked to him, I wanted to get get his position on what, how, if he had reviewed the cases. Uh, there were four cases I'm, uh, that I was uh, assisting with, which was Willie P., uh, William Williams, Eric Jenkins, and Matthew Brown, they were charged with false charges um, against against them, against the alleged um, alleged uh, victims, which was Arnisha Gaynor and Nicholas Gaynor. They, they were charged with burglary, first-degree burglary, uh, criminal trespass, criminal tampering, and conspiracy to commit first-degree burglary. And I was trying to get uh, D.A. Allen's uh, position as to how he came up with those charges or were able to allow his district attorney's office to pursue those charges. And he basically did not take any accountability. He said that uh, he gets 7,000 cases in his office a year, and he leaves it up to his district attorneys to make that uh, discretionary um, move where, where they were going to prosecute uh, individuals or not. And when I asked him if he had himself looked at the record, the police reports and everything, which um, have a, um, adequate determination that there were no charges to even be filed. Um, and I was trying to understand that and trying to get his position on that. He basically just gave a political answer, passing the buck, saying that, you know, that the um, that you know there were the district attorney who handled the case which originally also i just wanted to input the original uh, district attorney was oliver robinson and oliver robinson stated that there was no merit to the charges and so i was explained that to him and was asking why at that point in time the charges were not dropped and he basically just uh again gave that uh political answer that you know, the charges were pursued, uh, which Katie Kinney, which was the district attorney out of the DA's office at that time, decided that she wanted to pursue uh, the charges after Oliver Robinson um, stepped off the case, which I don't know why he was pulled off the case. And then Katie Kinney decided that she wanted to pursue that, uh, those charges, which were bogus. Once we, once um, I asked him also, once we, um, you know, he found out or was provided the information that there was no merit to the cases because there was a trial uh, with the four gentlemen and, it, you know, was proven at trial uh, that there was no tampering, there was no burglary. The Yolanda Walker was an occupant on the lease and she, and I explained this all to him, that she was an occupant on the lease, that there was Veronica Wilson, which was the apartment manager who um, confirmed and corroborated Mrs. Walker's uh, information that she was an occupant. She had access to the apartment. She had. A, she was able to um, provide authorization for the gentleman to come to the apartment and pick up the furniture because it was a corporate apartment that where the church earned, owned the furniture. What they were 
what Mrs. Walker and the other individuals were trying to prevent on the day of the incident was was what actually went on and occurred that Arnisha Gaynor and Nicholas Gaynor stole church property. Um, no. $20,000. Go ahead. No, sorry, sorry, Ms. Lawson. So uh, let me make sure I'm clear on something. This is uh, the same Miss Kenny that when given the file, when a complaint was filed on behalf of the church about stolen property, Grand Larson, all, all avenues were taken legally to try to retain the property. Uh, they were contacted by attorney uh, Bernard Kleiman as well, telling them this was church property. Miss mm-hmm. Kenny, if I'm if I'm if I'm not if I'm correct, made the statement when that when the charges were filed said we're not even going to I'm not even opening the file, the folder to look at the complaint in any way. Is that correct? That is totally correct, and that's a matter of record. Um, it's in the police report. That was that was filed that she said that she wasn't even going to look at it, which when I did address Mr. D.A. Michael Allen about that, his bogus or his little uh, explanation was, oh, I never knew that. I never knew of that. But he never still uh, decided to proceed forward to look at it or anything, which still, you know, if there's a complaint still open, then and even if it's not him as the district attorney, he can reopen it and review it and look at it and go forward with it. But he he still did not decide, which was last week when I spoke with him. Uh, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, he decided or he has not moved forward on that. Hey, Ms. Lawson, it's David Banks. I have a question. Um, I'm trying to get draw a distinction between Kenny and Tips. What is the Kelsey Tips, right? And and Kate Kenny, what is the difference between these two prosecutors? One was obviously in the court. Who is Miss Kenny, and why was she making decisions, or was not Miss Tips over the case? Uh, Which is it? Well, Katie Kenny was the um, she came in to preside over the case after Oliver Robinson removed himself from the case. I'm not sure why Mr. Robinson moved himself from the case, but during the motions and the pre-trial information. Katie Kenny was originally the district attorney that was supposedly to prosecute the case. Um, I later found out that Mrs. Kenny moved on to another law firm, um, and then Kelsey Tips, they put her in the place of Mrs. Katie Kenny. Uh, and so Kelsey Tips was the one that actually tried the case. Okay. Thank They're you. both on the same level. They're both district attorneys, were at that time. Okay. Right. Go ahead, Ms. Lawson. Okay, and so, as you know, as he just gave a a, a block answer, Mr. D.A. Allen, he um, once I asked him about all the things and provided the information to him that there was an exoneration and evidence that was not even allowed to be submitted, which was in discovery, uh, his answer to me was, well, he wasn't going to argue with me, and I explained to him there was nothing to argue about. I'm just giving him facts about the case. And with him being, being the district, the chief district attorney, he should be able to go back and look and review that information and, uh, and, and make a decision. He even could make a decision, you know, to say, okay, we're not going to go forward with this or, you know, present something to the court. We have uh, district attorneys all over the world that do that. They come back, look at evidence, 
and say, okay, uh, yeah, let's go proceed forward to the court, provide this information to the court that is really actually no case. So he decided, he chose not to do that. Well, he claims ignorance uh, that he's just somebody in his office. I had no idea. That is completely exactly. false. That's completely false. Right. The buck stops with you as an elected district attorney. Your name's on the ballot, not your ADAs to make decisions. And whatever power you've given your ADAs, you've given them, and the buck still falls on you. Mr. Allen exactly. has powered it out because he doesn't want to face the fact. The bottom line is, in one breath, Mr. Allen says, uh, I leave that to the discretion of my district attorneys. But Mr. Mr. Oliver Robinson said from the beginning the case had no merit. So if you That's trust correct. his discretion, how is he suddenly getting removed? How is Kenny suddenly gone? And then we got Kelsey Tibbs, who has a problem with religious institutions and says Colorado Springs Fellowship needs to be shut down. That's nothing exactly. to do with her job. Well, and exactly. It's just, okay, so DA Michael Allen uh, gives his prosecutors discretion to run roughshod over defendants. And that's what he's saying. He's acting like, honestly, he's acting like a bum. So this guy, mm -hmm. he's in, he's in elected to position. Well, I don't care. I really don't care. I leave uh, the discretion to the prosecutors. They can run roughshod over people. They can violate rights. They can do whatever they want to do. It's really not his responsibility is what he's saying, right? Exactly. And one other thing that I did bring to his attention, because I was really baffled by that, all the charges that were um, that the men were charged with had an element of intent. And when I brought to his attention, it's all over the discovery that their intent was to go to the location right. to pick up property, to pick up and furniture were, that belonged to the church. And, and they were I explained... Excuse me, Ms. Lawson. They were sent there okay. by the occupant on exactly. the Exactly. So they didn't exactly. just, of their own volition, wake up one morning. Uh, let me let me call a few of the fellas. Let's get up, uh, run over to somebody's house, and just pick up some furniture. Uh, none of that happened. So if 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 the church and the occupant, the board of the church, which uh, the occupant is is a board member, contacts some people and say, "I need you to go over there and pick up furniture." How can you possibly conclude that there was intent to commit a crime under those circumstances? And it, it just shows exactly. you just just how big of a bum. I'm sorry. Uh, who said that's a little disrespectful? Well, uh, giving giving people felonies, frivolous felonies, is, is is disrespectful. It definitely is. It changes. It impacts their life negatively. These gentlemen have no criminal history whatsoever. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, then all of a sudden they're thinking that they're going to wake up one day after having good careers to say, okay, I'm going to go burglarize the place, which they did not. They had authority to be there. And even the police officers were there for two hours on the site. And they had a copy of the lease. The police officers did, showing that Yolanda Walker was an occupant. And I, there was just a rogue detective, Detective Brian Corrado, which – decided that he wanted to trump up these charges, which even I brought the arrest warrant to the attention of, of D.A. Allen. I explained to him, even on the arrest warrant, it states specifically that these gentlemen were there to pick up church furniture. And I said, so what do you do with that, with your element of intent? And he, he just was quiet. He didn't say a word. So I came back to him and he said, well, it was decided by 
uh, that there was probable cause, which he couldn't. I said, how are you defining probable cause when there was no intent? And the gentlemen were themselves were the ones that uh, the church were the ones that called the called the police officers. Mr. Gaynor admitted even on the stand the entire time there couldn't have been a crime because he never even attempted to call the police. He never attempted to call 911. He called his wife. He called a friend, which was a female friend. And he's claiming that these, I guess, these was these two women were supposed to protect a man um, well, from and, doing nothing. And was there any arrests on the day of the so-called alleged burglary when they called the cops? I mean, was anybody arrested that day? No, they were the police officers who were there for two hours. And they and even Officer Fisher, which was one of the officers on site, had acknowledged that the men told them that they were there to pick up the church furniture. And they saw no evidence of a break-in, people hurt, uh, children abused, to say, hey, you know what, let's take somebody to, to jail right now and arrest somebody. That is correct. Uh, if, and if there was an assault, allegedly, which one of the um, one of the um, the men were charged with, if that was the case, they would have arrested him right then. Uh, they they arrest people, but Mr. Um, Mr. Gaynor stated himself, no, he didn't want to press charges. He stated that on uh, himself. He didn't want to press press any charges. But here's and the they thing. Didn't even... Go ahead. Go oh, ahead, and um, yeah, I'm sorry. And so the yeah, the police officers found no reason to arrest anyone that day. And I think the charges didn't even come down to like two weeks later. And like I said, from uh, bogus uh, bogus charges trumped up by Detective Brian Corrado. Well, here's here's what is so insane to me. The entire ambulance Hollywood production, if you will, Mr. Gaynor going down the steps by himself to get into an ambulance because he has been assaulted by nine guys at this at this juncture. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not one charge of assault, not exactly. that day or ever was brought against the pillar four because there was no assault. But the entire trial predicated on the fact that, oh my God, this young teenager was there. The kids were there. Their dad is being attacked. Something is, and not one charge to account for such a theory of the case. Not one charge. I agree. Those are the things that make absolutely no sense. And even in the trial, Kelsey Tibbs uh, leaned towards that again, that Mr. Gannon was attacked, but that there was no charge to support that type of argument. Well, and I think that's where you go with absolutely zero credibility of Nick Gaynor. The guy gets on the stand and says he was beat up. First of all, I don't know how he timed it to begin with. He was beat up by nine men for 45 minutes straight. Um, there's one option to run. You're not going to stand there and fight nine men. And first of all, you're going to be probably beaten bloody and into the inch of your life if you're not dead, if not nine men get a hold of you. So mm-hmm. with, with that lack of credibility, uh, Miss Tips, uh, D.A. Allen continued to pursue a case against these uh, upstanding pillars of the community uh, w- with a guy they knew obviously was lying. He had a scratch on his ankle, 
after getting beat up by nine men. Exactly. It and even the child abuse. Reason. Yeah, it doesn't. The child abuse uh, charge was dropped because of the the child that got on the stand testified, and um, obviously the jurors believe that. Um, because they couldn't come up with anything else. And I did want to comment on the ambulance situation. Yes, on the view of the video, Mr. Uh, the ambulance workers asked, offered Mr. Gaynor to take to assist him down the stairs. He says, oh, no, oh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> then why the is the ambulance there? Why is the ambulance mm-hmm. there? Because I'm putting on a production. Exactly. I'm putting on a production. That's what you're doing. And the bottom and Mr. line Gaynor is... Ne- Go ahead, Ms. Lawson. I'm sorry, Mr. Gaynor never asked for any restitution, <laughs> and I, I I know why because right. there was no injuries. Well, what, he went in. They gave him a band aid. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is band-aid. restitution? About <laughs> fifty? Yeah. What is that? It, it just yeah. it just does not stand the reason. And this is why the outrage is what it is. Why the case was ever brought? There was no case. If you exactly. say to me that there's burglary, there's breaking and entering, CSPD officers testified that there was no forced entry into the building, into the exactly. apartment. Well, that eliminates burglary and breaking and entering. Nothing was taken. Yes, uh, yeah, Officer Brungart and Officer Fisher acknowledged on the stand that there was no damage to the door. How do you go forward? I think this is where Aaron Sokol... Judge Sokol failed. Now, they said that there were not preliminary hearings. A a preliminary hearing is the opportunity to go before a judge prior to trial to justify if there's sufficient evidence to go forward with a prosecution. Any time of those, am I right, Ms. Lawson? That is correct, yes. So the judge has discretion to say, you know what? We don't have anything here. Mr. Mr. Kleiman and you, Ms. Lawson, filed a motion to dismiss based upon insufficient evidence to proceed. They denied it. Yeah, yeah. At, right even after, in the middle of a trial, after um, the prosecution rests and presents their def- their um, prosecution, the we, Mr. Kleiman and I, move for a dismissal. And... Judge Aaron Sokol, because she was prejudiced and biased um, against the defendants and myself, because we're all African-American. But she said that she claimed at the most interest reasonable to the government that she felt like the government still had a position to proceed, which, you know, we explained and argued, you know, the points and uh, the elements that there was nothing met. The burden was not met to be able to go forward. And even at that point in time, that was her her time and to make a decision to dismiss the cases, and she decided not to. So this is reckless behavior by Judge Sokol. Exactly. This is handled. Had Judge Sokol did her job, she exactly. got to the point and, and forced. She recused herself for any further proceedings. Why is that? The only because reason this, she recused herself. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the only reason she recused herself was because we continually um, kept stating that she was prejudiced, biased in the whole situation, which in the transcript, the 900 pages of the transcript, it shows throughout. She was biased against the men being African-American. She was biased against me being African-American. She was biased against the religion 
the church um, because everything that was presented was was a, was an exoneration of information, and she also um, refused to allow uh, information regarding the furniture, showing that it was the church's, and she refused to allow some of the letters that Mr. Kleinman had, which is an attorney, had provided to the um, the alleged gainers, um, the alleged victims, the gainers to explain that they needed to vacate the property and leave the furniture there. But no, she she uh, disallowed that information as well. She disallowed so, the jury to hear that. So you sit back on the bench and you say, oh, we're not going to allow that. Well, we're not going to allow that. Well, the bottom line is what you're not allowing speaks to the facts of the case. Exactly. How do you, how do you not allow? The fact of the matter is that is critical to a jury. The jury had to know exactly. that they were contacted. They were given more than enough notice to leave and leave the furniture behind. They made right. a decision and to ignore that. Exactly. And I believe her reasoning um, at that time was the fact that she said that it was not in discovery. But that's, un that's untrue. All the information was provided to Kelsey Tips. I, I, you, I'm telling you. Well, and it goes to show you the system. I'm sorry, it's rigged. She is there for the prosecution. And more often than not, you will find judges there uh, supporting their friends on, on the uh, prosecution side, which is the same path a lot of them came up to actually be a judge. This is not about justice. Uh, it's about cronyism. It's about uh, these are my good friends. We go out to eat. We have lunch together. Our families, our children play together. Uh, it's just a completely uh, secret society of people that are just, prosecutor brings a case. I'm going to give it to you. You're my friend, and that's the way the system works. I'm sorry. Uh, is, is that it like that in every case? No, I, I, would, I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But given what, what we've experienced, this happens on a regular basis. I agree. Um, I agree, David. Um, on the, uh, I was assisting with the RP5 case as well, where Judge Arguello, uh, Christine Arguello, I don't, I want to take the handle off her name, the judge, but Christine Arguello um, had did a lot of injustice in the RP5 case. She left out, she did the same thing. She left out um, evidence that was critical that would have exonerated the IRP-5, and she interfered with this state case. She's a federal judge, and she interfered with the state case. She personally knows Judge Aaron Sokol because they worked, she worked at a firm with her. She also um, did some, like, CLE, which you call uh, legal education training, for that firm um, in support of Judge Sokol. So they were familiar with each other, and I could even say I truly believe that times when Judge Sokol was taking a break to go find some information, she was getting Arguello on the phone. She came back the very first day. This case was pending for about a year and a half. And on the very first day, um, I was attacked with what, what, is, what is your religion, what is your affiliation with Colorado Springs Fellowship Church by, Judge and, uh, by Kelsey Chips and Judge Sokol allowed it. That was ignorant very ignorant. It has nothing to do, the cases were not similar, the defendants were not similar, but the church was similar because Arguello had a hand in it. So, so 
then what you're looking at here is a federal judge. This is prosecutional misconduct. This is this is a federal crossing of the line, if you will. There is yes. no distinction. And my understanding is that Judge Soko made mention of Judge Arguello from the bench. Is that correct? Yes, she did. That is correct. She, and even in even in filing her, she filed a when she filed her motion to recuse, she attached a, um, a slip order, which a slip order is is not a valid a valid order. It's not a valid order in the court. It's just some a, a judge's opinion. And she attached that, um, making false accusations against myself and Bernard Kleiman, and also the defendant, stating that we harassed jurors. That never happened in the federal court, the IRP-5 case, nor did it happen in the state case. And the problem is she's opining outside of her jurisdiction. Well, and exactly. remember, when if, if Judge Sokol put that in her recusal order, those are the exact words and claims, false claims, if you will, by Judge Christine Arguet Goyo in the RP5 case. So yeah. that link to that information had to come from Judge Arguello. So again, here's another judge sitting up in her high tower, uh, arrogant, uh, abusive, and, and power drunk. She can do whatever she wants to do. So she calls her friends down here in Colorado Springs and says, I don't like these people. I would like you to put the screws to them. I, mm -hmm. I think you can reasonably conclude that this happened given the recusal order, uh, the, the slip order that she included, and then the mention of the IRP-5 case as if it's relevant in this case, uh, in, in the in the pending. And case. how many years removed is that? Is the RP five case from this one? The RP five case was co concluded in 2011. The verdict came down. 2012 sentencing came down. And, and we're in 22. Yeah. Exactly. The, but I'm, that I'm shows you. Go ahead, Gwen. Go ahead. No, that shows you her uh, Judge Arguello's vindictiveness and her uh, mindset of trying to you know, just retaliate against uh, Colorado Springs Fellowship Church. Well, I, I got news for you. Judge Christine Arguello should be removed from the bench and disbarred. Judge Aaron Sokol should be removed from the bench and disbarred. I agree. The minute you cross the line of ethical conduct as a judge, you no longer can be trusted to preside over it, over a traffic case. Exactly. You shouldn't be allowed to preside over. Well, the problem is that's not going to happen because their friends are the one. It's a crony system. Their friends are the one evaluating their behavior. They're just not going to ta uh, take one of their friends off the bench. That's the way it works. I agree Unbelievable. with that. But I'll tell you what. Just cause, and AJC Radio will continue to expose this type of behavior. This is why you need to tune in, folks. You need to tell your family, your friends, everybody, look, something's going over there at AJC Radio. Something's being discussed. Somebody is making some noise about this type of behavior. Samson. 
No, I was just in here listening to everything, and it's, it basically it seems like Judge Arguello went shopping for a conviction against these guys, and she just found people that had the lowest price tag on their integrity, which was, you know, Judge Aaron Sokol. You know, we already had one DA said, no, there was no merit to all this evidence, so he stepped to the side. But, oh, here comes one that's ambitious and will put no rock bottom on what she'll sell out just to get, a, you know, a way forward. And, again, here here she comes, Miss Tibbs, coming along and just slinging every bit of, you know, garbage and filth out of her face that she could in order to get a a a, a um a conviction against these gentlemen when there was nothing there to support it. Oh, absolutely right. And Miss Lawson, we're going to come right back. I do have a couple of questions for you. Do you have a little bit more time? Yes. Okay, we're going to bring you back. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it. Uh, this is the condition of the system in America today. This is the system. Well, Mr. Banks, shouldn't you be calling it the criminal justice system? Justice doesn't apply. We're talking about a system that railroad citizens, people of integrity, are brought under this type of conduct. The consequences and collateral damage as a result of the conduct and the lack of integrity by Judge Christina Guayo. Aaron Sokol, Michael Allen, District Attorney in El Paso County, and the crooked cop, Detective Corrado. We're just getting started, folks. Feel free to dial in 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. We pull the mask off of Colorado's justice system. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, 
there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life based on what happened that night? That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Koch Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America, and it's time to do something. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. (sighs) 
I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs I hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. An interesting story surfaced this past week. Two brothers were sentenced to life in prison for a crime they didn't commit. Nearly 25 years later, they were exonerated, released, and reunited. CNN brings the story. Uh, Brothers George and Melvin... How do you pronounce that? Jesus? It looks like DJ Zeus are out of prison after serving nearly 25 years for a crime they didn't commit. Walking out just with the feeling of vindication, it was great, George said. Told reporters in Michigan on Tuesday, shortly after he was released, according to CNN Detroit affiliate WDIV, this is the best day of my life. He said he hadn't seen his brother in roughly 24 years. The siblings were being held in separate correctional facilities, according to the Michigan Department of Corrections website. They reunited embraced, according to the affiliate. I'm ecstatic, Melvin DeJesus said. I waited so long for this. Despite claims of alibis, they were convicted in 1997 of murder and felony firearm in the 1995 killing of Margaret Mitkiff, who was found dead in her Pontiac, Pontiac home, and they were sentenced to life without parole. But officials moved to vacate those sentences after evidence was discovered in an investigation. The newly created Michigan Attorney General's Conviction Integrity Unit worked with local authorities in Western Michigan University's Cooley Law School Innocence Project, which represented George DeJesus and the University of Michigan Innocence Clinic, which represented Melvin DeJesus. 25 years of your life have been taken from you that cannot be replaced. Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Judge Martha D. Anderson told the brothers, according to Cooley, Anderson set aside their convictions Tuesday during a Zoom hearing. Hopefully you will find some solace in the fact that you will be able to rejoin your family and start living a normal life outside the prison walls. At the time of the killing, DNA linked someone else to the crime scene. Brandon Goakin, who initially told police the two brothers didn't have anything to do with the killing, according to the news release from Cooley Law. So there you have a situation where these two men are basically charged, evidence showing in DNA, showing that it had nothing to do with these gentlemen 
but they were targeted, as we talked tonight about the IRP-5, the Pillar 4, and many, several other people who are living this nightmare. There was no DNA or other evidence found that linked the Day Jesus brothers to the crime scene, the release said. Uh, Gorgon later told authorities Melvin De Jesus had forced him to sexually assault the victim and said it was the brothers and the later bound uh, sexually assault uh, beat the victim to death, according to the release. Gorgon pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and first-degree criminal sexual conduct in exchange for testifying against the two. So in this case, you have a person with a motive to lie, to plead out, to not get as much time as in prison that he could that he could have possibly gotten, and you just simply lie on these two guys when DNA proved that they had nothing to do with it. This is an abuse of power again as a result of prosecutors recklessly charging people. If there's no DNA, DNA we know doesn't lie. They had no DNA for these two brothers, and they were railroaded in 25 years. Samson. And well, on top of that, the gentleman originally said that they had nothing to do with it. That was his original statement. And then now he's, he's basically coerced into saying, okay, we're going to give you a lighter sentence, but we're going to need you to lie because these are the two guys we really want to get behind bars, and we have nothing other than your word that's going to help us lock them away for a quarter century apiece. Well, here's what they got on top of that. About two decades later, in 2017, Gorgon was convicted of raping and killing another Pontiac woman a year before Midkiff's 1995 killing. According to a University of Michigan news release, investigators discovered 12 other women who had been emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by Gorgon, the Michigan Attorney General's office said. But you took his word. You're talking 12 different victims? Of sexual assault, the prosecutor takes the word of this guy with no evidence to support it and take 25 years of these of these two gentlemen's lives. These guys are mercenaries. Uh, the, you find more often than not that uh, a lot of these people appear to be just mercenaries. They're hired uh, to do some work for somebody and paid, I don't care if it's political capital, who knows, money. It's just a sick system, and then nobody asked how this happened. And then the, the judge said, I hope you get some solace from, I just spent 25 years in prison. There's no solace coming from losing 25 years of your life wrongly, and nobody did anything about it. And they knew up front, why aren't these people who knowingly put these men in, in prison, why isn't that a crime? Well, it says here, CIU investigators also found witnesses' statements that corroborated the brothers' alibi the night of Midkiff's killing. The siblings had said they were all at a party the night it go, uh, uh, the night Gorgon said the crime occurred and that the three of them went their separate ways afterward, the attorney general office says. They were not present. And the guy that did the raping and the assault and the killing, uh, they decided to take his word as credible. But you locked these men up for 25 years. Now just think of the movie Just Mercy, Walter McMillan. Uh, uh, had everybody putting him similarly at a picnic. I'm talking 25 to 50 people saw him at the picnic at the time of the murder. They set him up. So uh, people better start realizing uh, Just Mercy is a true, uh, the movie based on that and the book is based on a, on, on a true story. And you see the prosecutors uh, in, in the, in the uh, De Jesus 
uh, case doing the exact same thing. We just set them up because we can. Uh, who wanted them set up and how much did they get paid? Zapson, your thoughts? Well, the fact of the matter is that the people can get bought so easily. And the fact is that, you know, when you say art often Im- imitates reality, the fact of the matter is, is this, this isn't the first case. And unfortunately, it's not going to be the last case where people go out fishing for a prosecution, you know, a prosecution against people that are innocent simply because the fact is they're being targeted based on, you know, their race, their skin color, their social stature, whatever. Or is it just somebody has uh, a bone to pick or they, you know, they want to scatter some bones in order to make, you know, progress their own career. They're going to do what they have to do and they don't care who they walk on. And the fact of the matter is, is more often than not, you know, we see a vast majority of the, of the prison populace. I mean, they're either not guilty or they're, or they, if they are convicted, they're of nonviolent crimes. And so, We've made it a, a basically a, a corporate business here in the United States to, to incarcerate 25% of the world's population, and it's ridiculous. Dennis, I was listening to David, and I, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's really sad. But I'm telling you, it's about a win. These prosecutors are about a win, period. It's not about justice. It's not about uh, who did what. It's about a win. And until we get this competitive, because uh, all it is is about competition, and it's engraved in our justice system in such a way that prosecutors will do anything to get a win. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, police will plant, you know, stuff on individuals just to say, yes, I was right, they're wrong, here's the proof. And, and, and they actually planned it. Ms. Lawson, are you with us? I don't think we have Miss Miss Lawson. Are you with us? Yes, I am. What are your thoughts when you and, hear this as an attorney? Well, I just feel it's it's horrible. I mean, the reason I went to law school was supposed to be to learn about justice, and with the district attorney's office, I agree with Dennis that it's about a win. And I did express that to one of the DAs. What is what are where is the justice coming from? I think that if the prosecutors if they're investigated, the law enforcement are investigated, and then they're found out that they have, um, you know, indiscretions or lack of integrity and hiding evidence, I think that they should get the same sentence that these men um, that are innocent are being let go free. If they get some time in jail, maybe they'll be more cautious and more careful as to making decisions on their cases. Dave. And one of the things that really bothers me is where is the outrage? You do not see the outrage here in this country when things like this happen. You hear about it every week that somebody is being released from prison because they were wrongly convicted and they spent decades in the prison. There's no outrage. But when you hear them say that this happened in Africa or Syria or another country, oh, we need to do something. We need to make a change. Well, why don't we make the change here so that we can stop this from happening and make sure that people can live their lives and not have a family destroyed and people's lives taken away from them? Oh, I agree with you totally. Listen, the little compensation they're talking about here, it says the state passed the Wrongful Imprisonment Compensation Act in 2016, which aims to provide people exonerated of wrongful convictions with $50,000 for each year they were in prison. I did a little math on this one. It's $24 an hour. That's for 25 years. $24 an hour. 
a little over $3,800 a month. But a million dollars a year isn't enough for being wrongfully convicted and put into prison. That's right. But, Mont, you, that, that is that figure. They're putting a value on someone's life that you're you are worth. That is that is horrible. But listen, we spent eight years wrongly convicted. And I tell you, like they've said, a million dollars, a billion. It, it, when, when people start hitting, if they start, as Gwen had mentioned, uh, Ms. Lawson had mentioned, if they said, OK, you sentence them to 25 years, you get 25 years. You take their life away. Your life is taken away. Now you get to know how exactly. it feels to be away from your mom, your dad. Watching your kids uh, grow up. See, this is the type of crap and mess that these – we always talk about accountability. There is no accountability until someone says enough is enough. Did you value uh, 50000 That's nothing. Yeah, a billion is not enough. Well, the difference here that you have is that the $3,800 is before taxes. <laughs> wow. So you're That's gonna, before taxes? You're gonna tax. So – well, the thing about it that I wanted to add, Lamont, is that people come out with injuries to their bodies. They come out, some of them being raped. Some of them die in prison that were innocent. And money is not going to assist you in being able to get that part portion of your life back. There are certain things that money cannot buy. The loved ones you lost in 25 years. The family's tears that were shed over 25 years. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. Well, you even look at the fact that, okay, you spent so much time in prison. That does not stop when you get out. There are effects exactly. that that prison has on your, your health and your mental health that lasts the rest of your life. So when you say that, oh, well, they're out and they get to live their life, well, that life isn't the one that they would have had if they never went to prison. And, and to add to that, the stigma of a felony in this country, okay, okay, now you got, you got, you got hard, hard to find a place to live. Well, I got to, nobody wants to hire you except for a menial-type mm-hmm. job. It is uh, – I'm sorry, this country – and this system is so screwed up. We have no moral high ground to talk about any other country when you're doing this type of stuff. Your own and system. another thing is, too, you, we have the Supreme Court justice hearing. You don't hear about wrongful convictions. They never ask that to the judges about how do you assure fairness? How do you assure justice? They're, they're all over the place, but never that. You know what? They, this has become like, like the country has become numb to hearing that, oh, yeah, we're going to get some – people that have been 20 years behind prison, you know, and they get out. But when you live this and you, you miss their children growing up, you things you can't get back. And it's not even important that one congressman says, how do you feel about wrongful convictions in the country and how do we change that? Well, and on, on top of that, look at the media. The media doesn't even question how something like this happened. So – they question everything else uh, that the politicians, uh, the big political parties want them to question. They talk about the justice system in this Pollyannish type manner as if it's this, this gold standard and this gold standard for the world. But the, the reality is they don't uh, really care. They, they're going to protect the image of the justice system, and that's, that's what they do. And I no, um, wanted right. to add about that. And when it comes to the Supreme Court nominee, she was a federal public defender. They have issues with that. 
they they are wondering if she's going to come in and do something in in a defense side, which she should. They said Thurgood Marshall was the first one or the last one before this particular nominee that had defense. Um, there was a defense attorney, and that's that's ridiculous. No, absolutely is right. More. No, listen. <laughs> Having faith in this system right now. It's almost impossible. When you hear stories like this, you hear about the IRP-5, you hear about the Pillar 4, you hear about LaWanna Banks-Clark, you hear about all the stuff. It is almost unrepairable Mm -hmm. because the attitude of people is, well, that's just the way it is. We must accept that that's just how it goes. Oh, judges are good people. Prosecutors, they're just good people by virtue of their title. That's that's the reality of the system. Everybody else, if you're accused by a judge, a, a federal judge said this happened. Well, <laughs> does the black robe make you have integrity? It, well, or, or the no. law degree? No, it doesn't. Well, Kendrick makes a good point about the Supreme Court justice, and in this case, Ms. Kentanji Brown-Jackson, uh, has been railroaded. And done so horribly bad. Um, my heart goes out to her, her family. When you get the good ones, mm-hmm. this is how you treat them. But yeah, the, rea- the reality is politics. Exactly. And right. they're trying to get. Uh, I-, I have to say, Katanji Brown Jackson and the stuff they did. Uh, I'm sorry, Brett Kavanaugh has done a lot, a lot worse than even Katanji Brown Jackson. The politics is so divisive uh, until you can't expect anything positive uh, to come from that. Everybody's trying to get political well uh, ga- gain from that. The problem is with uh, Ms. Brown-Jackson, uh, future justice, is they say this is the first black woman ever nominated to the Supreme Court of the United States. My mother said to me the other day, that's a disgrace. Sure is. Since the civil rights movement happened, the fir- this is the first time a black, I promise you it's not the first time a black woman qualified exactly. to be a justice. And the things that they asked her, and you're, you're disgusted with it. Put her, in, put her in a robe. She's earned it. And give it to her. So when you talk about injustice, it's from the top down. Mm-hmm. It's not just at the lower level. This justice nominee by President Biden is a good one. Yeah. She knows her stuff. Nobody just graduates or goes to Yale or Harvard or any of these Ivy League schools, accomplish what they've done. Nobody wants to just give credence to that. We need to know how many times do you go to church? Ms. Brown-Jackson, none of your business. None of your business, Lindsey Graham. Yeah. You just and cannot I believe, believe it. She, Go ahead. And I believe she clerked under uh, Roberts. Is that correct? No, she clerked for Breyer, the one she's replacing. For Breyer. Actually. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she was a clerk for Breyer. And so that alone, when you do a, a federal clerkship, 
she's learned so much from being a student from Justice Breyer. There, there should not even be any any question of her integrity or her her performance as a justice. And it's not about her integrity. It's not about her work as a justice. It's the mm-hmm. fact. It's about the fact that her skin is darker than others. Exactly. Let's just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to do with her credentials. We don't want a black. Uh, another black on the on the uh, at least a liberal judge on the on the on the Supreme Court an African American woman has to endorse and the reason I bring the point into our conversation tonight corruption is from the top down yes there is injustice from the top down to the police officer to the meter maid outside giving you a ticket on your car well, and you have to realize it's everything is political. Judges are political. I don't care if it's at the state or local level. Politics. They're politicking mm-hmm. for various reasons to do whatever they they get nominated politically. Uh, exactly. Even at the state and local level, they have political friends that help them and people that are high in, in, in politics and city government and state government. They help these people. They they get elected. They're scratching their backs. Uh, everybody's scratching his other back. He's a good friend of mine. Let me get him a nomination, all this other type of stuff. It, the whole system is just corrupt, and, and it's, it's cronyism at its, at its very worst. I just wanted to read a statement that Ms. Brown-Jackson said. She said, I'm exhausted. I'm not exhausted because I am doing too much or working too hard. I'm exhausted because the constant double standard placed on me and other talented black women. It's an exhausting burden. I keep wondering when exactly will we be considered good enough? Very good mm-hmm. point. It's just tragic. And people should be outraged about it. People should be outraged about it. It doesn't matter yeah. whether you go to college, whether you give yourself and studies and, and commit yourself to be the best you can be. We live in a country that there is no justice. It is always a double standard. We're going to take yes. a quick break. Ms. Lawson, do you, do you have anything else you want to add? We can bring you back, or have you uh, concluded uh, what you wanted to say here tonight? I'm fine. I've concluded everything that I needed to address at this time. All right. We appreciate you taking time to call into the show. Thanks for what you did, what you do, and what you did for the Pillar 4 as well as the RP5 as we go forward. We appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Right. This is AJC Radio, folks. We are traveling down territory, perhaps unfamiliar, but yet very familiar to what we see on a day-to-day basis. We fight for justice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. 
Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street, to the Supreme Court, and we see equal justice under law. Um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's, let's take African Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13 to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overwhelming majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have facing even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. You just have a felony conviction for possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need a place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. 
You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options. Many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor, it's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where it should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. They call them the pillar four, and it is my thought that we have told the story in part. We're going to come back to the to the pillar four uh, in the near future uh, because that story has not begun to be concluded. But as we now lay the groundwork for the next couple of weeks on this program, we turn our attention to the RP five. Make no mistake about it, one of the worst tragedies of injustice that I have ever witnessed. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo, Clinton Stewart suffered, and Dave Zappolo suffered a huge injustice. Eight years as a result of a system that we talked about in the last several weeks regarding the Pillar 4. But the same system did a huge injustice to these men. We would be remiss if we did not mention along these lines again Luana Banks-Clark who suffered and I believe was a contributing factor to the loss of life of our dear sister. We will go down the road and discuss these issues. Many of those that we will discuss are difficult to hear. What you will hear in the, in the upcoming weeks regarding the, regarding the IRP-5 is troubling. 
It is shattering. And to be honest with you, it's right down disgusting what happened to these men. Dave, David Banks, one of the IRP5, as we get ready to lay the groundwork, at least in the upcoming weeks, how important is it that not only the Pillar 4 story be told, but the story again of the injustice of the IRP5? Um, a level of corruption and uh, the events that that took place, the uh, conspiratorial nature of prosecutors and judges, the falsifying and hiding of court records and modifying of court records. Uh, it got so bad, a, a former federal appeals judge, H. Lee Serkin, came out and said the worst injustice he's seen in 60 years of practicing law. Um, I don't think we can uh, overstate uh, the things that were done to get us in prison. And it's and it's done out in the open. It's blatantly in trial. Um, it's before trial. It's following people around. It's it's uh, uh, illegally gaining access to church records. There's church. There's religion. There's racism. Every one of these things were uh, the fingerprints of racism, fingerprints of religious discrimination. Uh, it was a very hateful process process and a hateful prosecution it these i have to be honest with you i spent eight years in prison i've had all the people i've met in prison and in my lifetime the worst people i've ever seen is in the justice system and there's it's not even a close call these are you try to come up with the word for people who who actually do these types of evil deeds and you you really get a loss for words i don't know how you do this how you go to bed at night how you sleep i just don't know how you can do this knowingly commit these sorts of acts and violations of law and violations of constitution to imprison and destroy lives it is it is a sore evil like like i've never witnessed and like like i said a minute ago as many of uh, people admitted criminals in prison. These people, these people are much worse. I'm sorry. You can uh, strip down the black robe, uh, all this other type of stuff. These are very bad people. Well, and there's one key player that's included again. You're going to hear her name in both situations. That's Judge Christina Grail. Her name surfaces huge in both of these issues, the Pillar Four and the IRP Five. Um. She opined on the life of Pastor Rose Banks, never met her, never knew who she was, allowed a circus atmosphere for habeas to take place in her court while people badgered Pastor Rose Banks. Unacceptable. You cannot opine on the religious practices of an individual or a religious institution from the bench. She did it. Called Pastor Banks a non-Christian 
Never met her. Never talked to her. We're going to show you and give you a front row seat into the hate and the viciousness of this system and Judge Christina Goyle. Spencer. No, I'm just sitting here thinking about it and how, how sick it must be for an individual, I mean, to strategically target over decades someone that she's actually never met, never had a conversation with, never knows, doesn't know anything about her other than what she could probably pull off the internet other than that this is a black woman religious leader in Colorado Springs that is a pillar of the community for 40 years, but somehow – she finds a reason to have a grudge against her, not only goes after her, she goes after her family and anyone that is associated with her and her church. Like this is a level of hate beyond just normal human beings. Well, absolutely. And as we lay the groundwork here about the IRP five, I'm going to come to each one of the five. We've got David Banks on record. Demetrius, your thoughts as we need to uh, go down this road now and tell your story, your thoughts. Um, to be honest with you, Mon, it's uh it's a nightmare that I wouldn't wish on an, an enemy. I mean, for you, for a person to use, as David mentioned, this black robe, they have this God complex, Christine Arguello walking around, sitting there. She, she's during trial blatantly lies saying, if you don't, one of you don't testify, I will close your case. And I remember as David was talking, we sat there and huddled together and said, is that possible? Can she do that? We were representing ourselves, and to use the, the, the judgeship to be as heinous and as morally depraved as Christine Arguello is, it is sickening. And to your point, Mott, we do have to continue keeping this fight, be vigilant, and, and keep fighting for not only our names, but everyone that's going to face this so-called system to let them know that they're, they're not alone and to, to stand up and fight, because if we didn't, they wanted us to plea out, and that's we're not going to plea for nothing we did that we didn't do. We're innocent men. We stand here together, united, and we're innocent to this day. And I'm glad we are talk, taking this time to talk about it. Kendrick. <clears throat> this case makes me feel sometimes as if I was killed in public, brought back from the dead, walking down the street, and I'm amazed that you don't get more attention because – the amount of antics, and that's all you could call them, that happened during our trial and the whole case, even in prison, this the prosecution judge just wouldn't let us go. I mean, it, it's it, it wasn't just a trial. You knew it was more than a trial because there were so many there were so many things that were just illegal that happened during trial. Then you get to prison. There were so many things that the harassment that we were getting from the prosecutor office up in Denver. It's it it's it scares me that the public and the ones that you tell about this case, it shocks them and it it almost to me like scares them away. Like I don't want to believe that you just told me that what happened was true. Because if you would see what happened, you know there's no law in this country. When you get that black robe on a person and that power trip goes to their head, anything goes. I mean and that's and that's you, you really can't give it justice in the description about what ha what actually happened and conspired and transpired in this case. There's a follow. When you look at this, 
from the beginning, the decision was made what the verdict was going to be. Because early on in an early hearing, you had the judge say, this is an obvious scam. She hadn't heard any evidence yet. And then she manipulated the transcripts because that statement never showed up. The statement where she told that one of you better take the, the stand, that never showed up. And then, it, like Kendrick said, it continues on into the prison system. We would talk to COs that were there that you would have thought that we were devils the way that they were told who we were. And then when they get to know us, they'd be like, I don't know what they were talking about. You guys aren't anything like we were told. Well, who told you this? You know it came down from the prosecutor's office, from the judge, that these people are horrible people. Well, we weren't. We didn't commit a crime, and it didn't matter. From the first day we went in front of Judge Arguello, the decision was made. These people are going to prison. Look at what happened to Lawana Clark Banks. Uh, Lawana Banks Clark. You see that before she even was convicted, an attorney told Kendrick that, oh, no, she's going to prison. It doesn't matter if she's innocent. We're going to dig into all of that. We lay the groundwork. Clint, your thoughts really quick. Yeah, uh, it it really is troubling. But one thing really stands out during the grand jury uh, hearing to put the grand jury uh, proceedings on record. Uh, the prosecutor said, well, who was the target of this uh, grand jury investigation? And the foreman of the grand jury said, Rose Banks. And you know right there, there is a serious amount of corruption going on. Yeah, yeah for sure. And let, let's, let me, David, go back down this road into all the RP5. Um, there was an attempt to separate all of you. You guys were at one prison, but I believe the way that it was done and it was hidden, they could have easily taken your lives, and nobody would have gave a second thought about it. That's Tell it. us a little bit about these these men actually were awakened at what time in the morning? Around 3.30. And an attempt to go to all these other different, to just take you out of state, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, because... Uh... Just like the the prisons isolate people, um, their goal was to isolate us to some extent so they can do what they want to do. In many instances, if you're at the same prison uh, and people know what's going on, they they what they do what they want to do in the dark. They have to do it in the dark because if they do it out front and the stuff they do is legendary. The what they call diesel therapy. They'll just ship. They're spending taxpayer money shipping an inmate around the country. He gets to a prison for a week, pack him out, send him to another prison. And they they could do this to six, seven, eight, nine prisons. And the stuff they do. So wake us up ten at three thirty in the morning. All of a sudden, all of us are being shipped. Uh, uh, uh. uh an order was given by the assistant warden at the time who was sub- subbing for the uh name was Johns, I believe. Uh, he signed off that we're supposed to be shipped out. No reason. And come to find out, you had to have very specific reasons. Was that he put something on the form as inability to adapt. We had been at the prison for years, but they, they used that to try to justify 
we're going to put the screws to you guys, and we still don't know who's pulling the strings. Uh, presumably, still could be the prosecutor's office and, and Matt Kirsch. It could be uh, Judge Arguello. Uh, the hatred for us was just is just unbelievable. Well, I'll tell you this. The uh, attempt to do this was very clear to a just cause that there was some type of attempt. I mean, you're way out in the country in a van. They're driving you here and there. They could easily stage a murder, a killing. Well, and to that point, when we pulled out of the gate, they had two officers. We were being driven to other prisons, not through the channels of uh, normal prison transportation. They put us each in a car. A, a car. A car or, or SUV. We were getting hand-delivered. Hand-delivered. And they, they had actually uh, booking reservations for some of the out-of-state places they were going for a hotel. And so they're spending money to personally ship us across the country. We come out of the gate to the prison, people go in different directions. It, so you don't know where you're going. Monty, it, it was, to be honest with you, it was like something out of a movie. We were sitting there, they wake up the whole wing, and like oh, to David's there. point... We were Kendrick and I were going to, to Fort Leavenworth. David, you're in Denver, and then Clint and Dave, I think, to Yankton in yeah, Dakota, in South Dakota. Yeah, so they understand when they ship inmates, they they're too cheap to do individual inmates at a time. Right. They usually make sure make there is a make sure there's a large group of inmates that are moving so that they'll schedule all move together. You go to Oklahoma, and that's where it's like it's the hub. And then that's when they swap inmates and send you back to the prison. We were getting individually delivered, driven, chauffeured, basically, right. by officers from that facility, not from the, the group that handles transportation, from that facility to be delivered straight to the prison right. uh, in an overnight. And we were we were supposed to be driving overnight to get to the next facility. And they did it without the authority of the higher-ups. Yeah. And this is not a quick process. There's a lot of approvals. Well, I looked at my file. My file for the transfer was signed the day before they moved us. By internal officials at the prison. Correct. And those type of movements, I can tell you from the state level or the federal level, comes from the highest, higher-ups. In the Department of Corrections, as well as the Bureau of Prisons, that doesn't happen. Right. You don't just get moved, and you definitely don't get singled out. That was an attempt by the prison to get away with murder. I believe that you guys could have definitely been harmed as a result of that. I believe we have Gwen on the line. She's called back in. Miss Lawson, attorney for the RP5. Um, Gwen, are you with us? Yes. Yes. Oh, I just wanted to add, too, that, yeah, I felt that uh, Judge Christine Arguello hides behind her black robe and uh, and uses her abuse of power because of her position. Um, and I think something definitely needs to be, she needs to be removed. So I know she's retiring, but she needs to really be removed because she, the things that she's done in both of these cases with the RP5 and the Pillar 4, is uh, no person, no judge of that uh, in that position should be allowed to have that type of power. Well, on top of that, I think she should be criminally charged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but uh, look, I know what the uh, po- what the likelihood is 
is that they're not going to touch her because they'll protect her. But she should be criminally charged. I agree. For yeah. her actions. David? Yeah, I wanted to uh, uh, interject uh, one more fact into our, tra- our uh, I guess, unceremonious transfer from Florence. Halfway through the route, uh, they got a call from D.C. to turn us all around and bring us back. So what that goes to show you is midstream, somebody got caught doing something illegal. Uh, the higher-ups in the BOP, because it costs money to transfer people. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, the approvals have to go through. So somebody got caught uh, at there at Florence Prison doing something illegal and doing these illegal transfers. And uh, just the fact that we got turned around midstream, the COs were actually cursing when they were forced to turn back around and bring us all back. And when we got time, we got to the prison. They said, get your stuff and go back real quick. They were very terse and quick. Gra- gra- grab your uh, property, go straight back to where you were sitting. And that, that, was, that was the end of it. And the reason that was done, uh, there was questions being asked to A.W. Johns. Is that his name? Uh, he was questioned by Just Cause. What are you doing? Never mentioned that a move was made. When we made the call back to them, oh, visitation is, is back in, on, on track now. Coming to your family and friends. That was his reaction. Because he knew what he did. Never mentioned it. I said, well, what, what? because there was an issue at the time, if you remember, yeah, when we, they had canceled visitation yes. uh, and then said it would be reinstated, whatever. But when this happened, Oh, visitation is back on. That's what Mr. Johns told. Yeah, we weren't given a shot to your point, Mott. We were, I remember the disciplinary, so-called disciplinary action was suspended for four weeks. And then during that time, that's the time they moved, uh, allegedly moved us in the middle of the night. It was a Wednesday morning, if I remember correctly. So, again, as soon as those, that, that turn, that, uh, again, David says the political, someone got involved and said, hey, we got caught with our, 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 our pants down. And they're trying to fix it. You know, so when we got back to the, the camp, I mean, Kendrick and I, the, the, the CEOs turned around and said, hey, you guys want to go back? Like, you driving? I mean, but it, it just, just shows you show what level that some of these uh, corrupt people will do to cover up and to continue furthering this attitude. And when you look at that day, when we asked what's happening, they wouldn't answer. Right. Where are we going? They wouldn't answer. Right. And I'll never forget when we finally got back to the prison, the uh, COs that were driving us said, wait here in the SUV. And they got out and a lieutenant came over and started dressing them down because you saw his arm gestures and he was just letting them have it. And then they came over and they said, "Okay, you can go in and get your your stuff. And I remember this happened twice is when we were turned around, we were at a gas station and we're allowed to use the restroom. I stumbled, and the COs got really nervous. Well, the same thing happened when we got back to the prison. I stumbled getting out of the the van or the um, the SUV, and the CO was like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" I mean, they were really nervous that we were uh, going to complain that we were injured or um, physically damaged by that move. And even years later, a CO that was involved with that came up to me and said, "Did you ever find out?" Who made us turn you around? 
And I said, no. He said, that was really weird. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it just shows the the insanity of this system and how people can be taken in a moment and nobody ask any questions. We, we found that out with Michael Anderson, who did time with the RP5 at Florence. He was murdered by officers at that facility. Two-year sentence. He was talking about coming home, getting a job, going fishing with his son. I believe the intentions for the RP5 were no less. You guys out. For one reason. You stood for what you believed in. You stood for what was right. That is what it is. Ms. Lawson, did you have something else? No, I did not. Okay, we appreciate you calling in. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you right now. Thank you. Thank you. This is overwhelming. It doesn't appear to be humanly possible to endure such injustice. But there are several thousands of RP5s. There are several thousands of the pillar fours across this country. But those are not the people we're talking about. Do we feel for you? Absolutely. Will a just cause fight for you? Absolutely. Will we be a voice for those that have gone voiceless? Absolutely. But right now, we talk from home, a place far too familiar to suffer at the hands of injustice. We'll be right back. This is AJC Radio. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if 
mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. A corrupt judge in the federal system. Her name is Christina Arguello, 10th Circuit here in Colorado. The RP5 victims of a system that fails. The families of the RP5. Victims of a system that failed. Lawana Banks Clark, a casualty, collateral damage of a system that failed. Colorado Springs Fellowship Church, pillar of its community, Pastor Rose Banks, pillars of kindness and support of law enforcement. And the system. Until one day it turned tragically bad. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart suffered at the hands of this judge and of this system. Assistant U.S. Attorney Kirsch. Matthew Kirsch, pariah, if you will, to bring the innocent down. It goes on and on and on as we now roll back and tell the RP5 story again. We tell it for one reason was a pure example of injustice. I would implore you to tune in to this show in the weeks to come when we will go back to the beginning of the RP5 story. Those that suffered, those that hurt, those that manipulated and broke the law. But I got news for you. They were not the RP5. It was the administers of justice who we trust to do the right thing. Who we trust that will allow evidence and a story to be told that would have exonerated the RP5. Period. 
expert witnesses refused, denied, if you will, by Judge Aguayo to take the stand that would have brought surely a different outcome. All of these facts, all of these things, as we mold and set the stage for the weeks to come, remember these names, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. You will learn their names well. You will hear from them. They will tell their story of unequal justice. Until next time, America, we wait and we continue to fight for justice. This is AJC Radio. Good night.